Simply put, there are few films so beautifully composed as Once Upon a Time in the West. And I'm not just talking about Ennio Morricone's elegiac score, I'm talking more about the way its director, Sergio Leone, made not just his masterpiece or even a landmark western. I'm talking about one of cinema's supreme achievements. And Frank? Frank sent us. Did you bring a horse for me? Looks like we're... <laughs> Looks like we're shy of one horse. <laughs> you brought two too many. And yet, on the face of it, Once Upon a Time in the West comes so packed with so many paradoxes and subversions of convention that beauty would appear to have been beyond its reach. For starters, Leone had conjured up the film's title even before he had written a line of dialogue, let alone thought of a plot. As if that were not enough, it was the first non-musical for which the score was composed before a frame was shot. This makes sense because music is such a pivotal element in the film that Charles Bronson's character, the appropriately named Harmonica, actually plays one of the film's themes repeatedly across several scenes. Another paradox is that only part of the film was actually shot in the American West. Most of it was filmed in the deserts of Spain and Italy's Cinecita sound studios. What Leone wanted to do was make the ultimate Western, take everything it had ever said, and in rephrasing and refashioning its themes and images, deliver the last word on that great American genre. But it wasn't only westerns from which Leone was drawing. For me, a non-western informs the very climax of his film. Throughout the story, Leone treats us to brief flashbacks, showing a man so far in the distance of the desert scrubland that he is out of focus. As the man slowly walks towards us, he comes closer into range until finally we recognise him as Henry Fonda. What Leone was referencing, if not least drawing inspiration from, was... tense moment when Omar Sharif, appearing firstly as a dot hovering like a vulture over the horizon, slowly, ever so slowly emerges from the great desert. I am Ali ibn al-Kharish. I've heard of you. So, what was Hazimi doing here? He was taking me to help Prince Faisal. You have been sent from Cairo? Yes. I have been in Cairo for my schooling. I can both read and write. But, and this is crucial, where David Lean actually shortened his sequence because he feared he might have tested the audience's patience, Leone would frequently extend many of his own scenes until they almost reached breaking point. In that way, Leone was drawing on a tradition in another art form, the opera, where the dramatic moment is stretched out and sustained by the voice of the singer. For Leone, he was able to do this through the faces of his actors. 
In fact, you could say that Leone's film is a sort of opera, with each character given their own melody. While the film I'm about to mention next could have had no influence on Leone at all, it was released while Leone had barely finished shooting his film. I cite it nonetheless as a way to compare and contrast what both filmmakers were doing. For me, one of the most memorable entrances in all of cinema is marked by the arrival of Claudia Cardinale, when, as Jill McBain, she emerges from the carriage and steps down onto the platform of the Flagstone train station. The station is all a bustle with travellers and traders and Jill appears to be looking for someone who, well, they haven't shown up to meet her off the train. So she waits and waits. Growing anxious, she looks up at the station clock. It reads 5 to 8 in the morning. Leone cuts back to Jill and she looks down at her pocket watch. It now reads 10 past 10. In the blink of an eye, hours have passed. With the exception of Stanley Kubrick's 2001, had there ever been, up until then, such a blithe lesion of cinematic time? Yes, the moment where T.E. Lawrence blows out the match in David Lean's epic. But that isn't the half of it. Having truncated time, Leone then quite appropriately tracks the next moment as Jill lives it. Framing her in the distance, all but alone now because the other travellers have long gone, Leone has Jill gather herself up and walk along by the train towards the static camera. Just as she approaches the station platform, the camera begins to track back and Jill steps inside the door of the station house. Cinematographer Tonino Delicoli then pans right so we can see in through the window as Jill speaks to the station master. The window frame itself acts as a miniature of the cinemascope frame. And as Jill exits the station house into the background, the camera cranes up and the miniature is replaced by an epic vista of a town under enormous construction. So attractive is Leone's work here that you can see it echoed across a host of American directors, from Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese and Robert Zemeckis, to the Coen brothers, Quentin Tarantino and Sam Raimi. Whether it is a close-up, forcing the frame, or hiding and revealing characters as they move across the frame, Leone's film is a masterclass in the use of Cinemascope. When Cinemascope first appeared in 1953, Many filmmakers dismissed it as a gimmick. Certainly, its development and delivery to audiences came in response to those same audiences having moved away from the cinema and stayed at home to watch their entertainment in the comfort of their own living rooms. Television had arrived and its impact on Hollywood was enormous. The studios responded by pouring money into historical epics delivered in the new widescreen format, replete with delirious technicolor. The tiny little box in the corner of your living room could not compete. For a while, directors simply kept the camera back from the events 
and let the action unfold across the newly expanded screen. While the frame was filled with as many cast members as possible, this meant that the camera was rendered a static observer. However, a few directors were interested in getting the camera to interact with the drama, and when Leone developed his spaghetti westerns, he moved the camera in a highly stylized way, drawing on the techniques he had seen in the films of Akira Kurosawa, specifically Rashomon, a movie Kurosawa had filmed not in Cinemascope, but in the Academy ratio of 133 to 1. I knew you'd come. Morton once told me I could never be like him. Now I understand why. Wouldn't have bothered him knowing you were around somewhere alive. So you found out you're not a businessman after all. Just a man. An ancient race. Other mortals will be along and they'll kill it off. Future don't matter to us. Nothing matters now, not the land, not the money, not the woman. I came here to see you. Because I know that now you'll tell me what you're after. Only at the point of dying. I know. Leone almost succeeded in laying the genre to rest. There have been several great westerns since then, most notably Sam Peckinpah's The Wild Bunch, Robert Altman's McCabe and Mrs. Miller, and Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven. But Leone so beautifully orchestrated his film that by the time its final images unfurled, Once Upon a Time in the West had become as iconic a fixture in cinema's landscape as the mesas and buttes of Monument Valley itself. <laughs>